What do you see when you look at your city? What do you see when you look at your church? What do you see when you look at yourself? Do you see nothing but broken piles of junk and rubble? Because when God looks at you, he sees a future and a hope. The Bible tells the story of Nehemiah, a man whose heart broke when he saw the ruined walls of Jerusalem. But in that rubble, he also saw hope. He saw the tools to rebuild. It's time to see our city the way God sees it. It's time to see our churches the way God sees them. It's time to see ourselves the way God sees us. It's time to rebuild. Hey, good to see you this weekend. My name's Greg. I'm one of the pastors here. And, uh, well, not everybody knows that, you know. Don't be laughing at me right away. I'm going to talk to them. Hey, we're glad you're here. Those of you who are on the internet or uh, in, a, in another campus or even uh, in the Long Point campus, wherever you might happen to be, we're glad that you're here this weekend. Um, Hey, before I get into what we're going to talk about this weekend, I just want to update a couple of things. Uh, first is our response to Hurricane uh, Sandy. Uh, most of you know the devastation that has gone on there and then another storm on top of that. And uh, so we have posted in the city um, uh, some of the specifics about uh, what we're doing. Jason, our uh, missions pastor, posted some things this week. Uh, but uh, I've been talking to pastors in New Jersey and New York and uh, also uh, with uh, relief organizations. We have some partners that we work with regularly, and we're kind of taking our cue from how soon do we send teams, do we send teams, and I think that we probably will, uh, but right now they're in the process of getting electricity going, what have you, and uh, so what we have done is uh, we've given uh, this week $10,000 to one of our partners um, uh, Convoy of Hope uh, in the area will also work with Samaritan's Purse, and uh, then we're going to give you an opportunity in just a few weeks uh, to participate also, both giving and uh, perhaps uh, uh, to be going. And so that just kind of tells you a little bit about what we're doing. Secondly is um, we challenged you about a year ago, I think, uh, to in generosity, um, uh, there uh, we were working with a group that uh, we're wanting to put a medical clinic, uh, actually a medical clinic already existed, a, a hospital with a, a, maternity, um, a maternity ward. See, you laughed at me and I'm having a hard time talking, okay? I'm just, just going to tell you that. And so, and so um, Uganda is one of the poorest countries in the world. Uh, the mortality rate for uh, births in Uganda is 10 times what it is in America. And uh, hard to get good medical care, uh, especially that's affordable. And so we challenged you. Uh, maternity ward would cost about $150,000. And uh, you guys, uh, in your generosity, uh, gave a, a good portion of that, $105,000, uh, to build it. It has been built. We have a video now that will show you a little bit about it and some of the first mothers to use it. So take a look at this.
I'm very much excited about uh, this new maternity center and I think uh, it will help a lot in helping mothers to have safe delivery and improve generally the, the indicators for maternal mortality and even help reduce infant mortality rates in this region uh, because um, there are very few health facilities which can offer quality maternal care. And I think more mothers are going to come to this maternity center and deliver from here. This one goes to the church in Seacoast, who have been the biggest funders of PMI, and then with Masindikitara Medical Center. On behalf of all the staff and uh, Masindikitara Medical Center and, and Masindi as a region, or Masindi as the district here, and on behalf of all Ugandans who have been treated in this hospital, we would like to thank you for the biggest support that you have given us towards the maternity ward and the other things that you have sent us. We really appreciate and we are so, so happy that you have given this support to us. We don't have anything how we can send our appreciation, but just we know that God will bless you so much for the greatness and the great, the great good work you have been doing to Masindi Kitara and the people of Masindi. We thank you, thank you so, so much. There are so many cool things about that story, uh, one of which is it's totally self-sustaining. It doesn't depend on American help. We, we kind of seed the money to, for the buildings, but they employ 15 to 20 Ugandans as doctors and also as uh, the financial uh, people. They are doing 100 uh, uh, births a month at this point. And uh, that, that's such a cool deal. That's an awesome thing. I wanted to give you a little update. And it's because of your generosity uh, that we're able to be, uh, participate in things like that. All right, so let's get into uh, Nehemiah chapter 8. Before I do, I want to tell you a story. A few years ago, I decided that I wanted to really learn how to play golf, okay? Um, people told me it's a great way to meet new people, and you can get acquainted with people because you spend several hours together, either walking or in a golf cart. And I thought, I can do this. I was athletic in the day, back in the day, uh, not as athletic as I think that I was. You know, how many of you know that you, none of you were ever as good as you think that, as you used to be? Anybody ever as good as you used to be? That was funny, uh, in a sense. A lot funnier than what you laughed at at the very beginning. But anyway, so, so I thought, how hard can this be? I'm going to attack this like I attack things when I want to learn something. And so I read everything that I could read on the subject and what, what, what I found out was the key to golf was a good swing. You've got to have a fluid, repeatable, and some of you are saying right now that your problem is you're, you're lining up on the wrong side of the ball. No, this is the proper side is what this is, left-handed. So anyway, 
Uh, you guys don't get it, do you? Anyway, so, so, so I studied swings, videos. I studied great golfers. And uh, then I'd go out to the driving range and I'd practice until I felt like I had a good swing. Then I went out and I played several times. And uh, my scores weren't getting very much better at all, but I knew I had a good swing. And one of my friends said, uh, uh, here's what you need to do. You can go to such and such a place, and they actually videotape your swing. And you can see how it looks compared to somebody else. I thought, well, that's a great idea. And so I went and I videotaped my swing that day. I will never forget that day because I wept. (laughs) And I still weep to this day when I think about it. In fact, it's why I now fish and take pictures, photography, because I decided that I will never be very good uh, at, at, at golf. You know, I mean, it's just, you, you've got to work on it, and uh, uh, the gap between what I studied and what I saw was enormous. I couldn't believe that I had played and put as much time into it as I did and looked as bad as I did, and, uh, and, and, so, and so I still play occasionally, but I've resigned myself to the fact that I'm never going to put in the time to be a great golfer. Now, this week, we're going to look at a similar kind of aha moment, kind of a picture in time uh, when the people of Israel, an entire nation, it actually brings them to tears when they take a look at the picture that they see. And instead of settling for status quo like me uh, or quitting, they they decided, you know what? We're going to respond in a way, uh, in a a proper way, and as as we're going to see, God turned their tears actually into tears of joy. As I was thinking about it this week, I thought, you know what? There are some of us here, you may have had one of those, uh, and I'll call it a Kodak moment. I was going to call it a Kodak moment, but... I don't even know if Kodak exists anymore. That shows how old I am, you know. But maybe, maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe you've had a kind of a, uh, a picture taken of you that revealed a truth about yourself that was painful. Maybe it was literally a picture. Have you ever had somebody take a picture of you and post it on Facebook and tag you with it, think they were doing you a favor? How many of you have ever done that? And you went, I don't look like that, do I? You know? Or it might be figurative. You know, you responded or reacted in a situation, and for whatever reason, that was kind of frozen in time, and you go, wow, I, I can't believe that I reacted or responded that way. Now, when that happens, when those pictures happen, you have basically two or three options. You can kind of Photoshop it. You know what Photoshopping it is, don't you? That means you, you, you know, you don't, you, you go, well, I'm, I'm going to change this. I'm not going to change the action or the behavior, but I'm going to change the picture, and you can do some amazing things. It's kind of denial. Or you can do what I did and quit. And that's not a big deal uh, if it has to do with golf or a hobby, but it's a really big deal if it has to do with faith or your family or your own personal life. Or you can uh, let the pictures reveal the truth about yourself and also leads you into the truth of the nature of God and who he is and how he wants to work uh, in our lives. In fact, you can let them transform the way that you do life. At the top of your outline sheet, uh, you have a scripture. It's one of my favorites. We use it a lot. 
It's Romans 12 and verse 2. And why don't we read that out loud? In the campuses, Long Point, wherever you happen to be, why don't you read out loud uh, Romans 12, 2? Let's read it together. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And normally, we can feel like we're on the path to God's will, and that's a good thing. But oftentimes, we're blinded to where we really are in a particular area of our life. So we're in denial on something, and it's a picture. It's, a, it's one of those moments in time, one of those aha moments in time that stop us. And in that moment, we can either deny it, we can quit, or we can say, you know what, I'm going to allow the Word of God to transform my mind, renew my mind, and set me on a path toward God's will, which is good and pleasing. So that's what we want to look at uh, today. Just a real quick review before we get into Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah is a guy, uh, lived uh, uh, just a long time ago. He hears a call uh, from God to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Walls of Jerusalem have been destroyed, uh, meaning that the city can't defend itself, the the morale is just really bad. God says, I want to use you to do it. He's not a builder, and yet he becomes a great builder. He answers God's call, says yes, and uh, begins to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And we've been studying it for about eight weeks, and we know that, that it is a picture. In fact, the uh, New Testament says, Paul says that we ought to look at the stories in the Old Testament as examples for us, pictures for us so that we can learn. And so what we're doing is we're looking at this through a lens of our lives that are broken down by sin or, or perhaps have been uh, invaded by enemies of, of some type, our churches and our cities, and we're learning how to respond uh, in proper ways so that God uh, can do the work that he wants to do. And so Nehemiah builds the wall. We've studied that. He gets the wall built in record time. He takes a census, and now is the next step. And it's interesting that the very first thing that they do when the wall is built they have a census of who lives there. The very first thing they do is have church. They have their first church service, and that's basically what we're going to study today, indicating that God is number one uh, on, on their radar screen. They could have built schools. They could have built uh, houses, which they will. They could have built roads, which they needed to do. But they said, no, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to gather everybody together, 50,000 people, and we're going to launch a church. This is our first church service. And I just want to say to you, um, the, the fact that you're here this weekend says that you want to put God first in this area of your life. And, I, and that's a yay God. It really is. There are a lot of other things that you could be doing. There are a lot of things that compete for our time, uh, our energy, and you say, no, we're going to do this first. And I just want to say as your pastor, yay God, you know, that, that's awesome. That's, that's a step in the right direction. And so they say we're going we're gonna to gather together and we're going to have church. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read the first uh, 12 verses of Nehemiah chapter 8. I'm just going to kind of go through them uh, and make a few comments. And then we're going to take three quick lessons, uh, kind of life lessons from uh, the entire chapter. Okay? So I'm going to read. Verse 1. All the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square, 50,000 people just inside the water gate. It's where Nixon uh, hung out. They asked Ezra, 
the scribe. Now, Nehemiah is the builder, okay, even though he wasn't experienced as a builder, but God used him as a builder. Ezra's the preacher. Ezra's the preacher. And so he says, he asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. So on October the 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all of the children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. This is a, this is a sermon I would like to preach. It's about five hours. It's about five, it's about, you know, we complain, oh man, has he gone past half an hour or an hour or whatever? I don't go an hour. I can do it, but I don't do it. But he does six hours, six hours. Every preacher would love to have been there. And all the people listened closely to the book of the law. And what he did was actually he's reading from uh, the first five uh, books of the Bible, the book of the law. So he reads uh, it, like sitting down in one setting and reads the first five books of the law. So the people are listening closely. Ezra the scribe stood on a high platform, wooden platform that had been made for the occasion. Kind of like, have you been downtown Charleston and seen some of the churches that have the, the pulpits up high? I think that would be kind of cool being uh, a little bit um, challenged in that area. Uh, but uh, anyway, he's up high so everybody can see him and everybody can hear him. And it says to his right stood, and I'm not going to go through all the names. There's six on his left hand, and or seven on his left hand, and six on his right. They are leaders uh, in the community. The reason they're there is it emphasizes the importance of the occasion. Okay, we're a team here. Uh, this is important. We're doing this first. And so they're standing next to Ezra. So as Ezra stood on the platform in full view of the people, and when they saw him open the book, this is... This is such an incredible thing. I want you to see this. I just want you to kind of allow the Holy Spirit to to paint a picture to you. 50,000 people. There are no seats. They're crammed in so they can hear. They're anxious to hear the word. They haven't heard the word in their lifetime. Okay? But but, but they're, they're, they're desiring of it. They're hungry for it. They're crammed together. Ezra stands on this platform that's up above everybody. There's a hush there's a quiet, you can't hear any, any, any talking. And they saw him take the book. He opens the book. He lifts it up. And they all rose to their feet. Let's do that. Can we do that? Just let's rise in the, in the campuses. Rise to your feet. You know, my grandfather, let's just do the whole service like this. <laughs> they did it for six hours. My grandfather was a preacher. And any time um, they read the word, you know, he would read the word at the beginning of the service, and then he would preach. And we would always stand for the reading of the word because he reverenced the word of God. He said, why don't we do that at Seacoast? Because we use the word all the way through the message. We have to stand, sit, uh, sit down, stand up, sit down. And that's what they do in the Catholic church, and so, which is fine, but we don't do it here. So, so anyway, they stood as reverence to the word. Not a, not a sound, just the sound of them standing up as reverence to the word. Okay, hang with me a minute. Then Ezra, he's got his Bible up here. Praise the Lord, the great God. And all of the people chanted. This is your choice, your chance. Amen. Amen. Awesome. And they lifted their hands. Let's do that. Say, I'm not charismatic. 
You should be. Okay. They lifted their hands. This is cool. I love this. And then they bowed down. Bow down. And they worshiped the Lord with their faces on the ground. Well, we're not going to do that. Okay, you can sit down. Okay, you can sit down. But can you see it? 50,000 people. They stand as one when Ezra lifts the word. He blesses the word. They say, amen, amen. And then they bow down with their faces to the ground. Okay, you got that? All right. Then the Levites, and he names them, um, then instructed the people in the law while everyone remained in their places. In other words, Ezra taught for several hours. And then the Levites went out kind of in small groups. And they wandered throughout the crowd. They, Do you have a question? Do you understand what this meant? Let me explain it very clearly so that you'll understand. So that's what was going on. Kind of like we have a lot of small groups in our church where on the weekend the teacher will teach and then during the week they'll study the exact same passages and talk about it. That's kind of what's going on here, okay? Then Nehemiah, the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and the scribes and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said something very interesting to them. They said, don't mourn or weep on such a day as this. What's going on? They bowed down. And you can start to hear it a little bit at a time at first, and then, and then it's just like it ripples out until it's a loud roar. The people are weeping, and they're crying. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. And then he says, don't do that today, okay? It's, a, it's, a, it's an honorable response, but you need to know, they said, that... Uh, Today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks. I like that verse. And share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites, too, quieted the people, telling them, hush, don't weep, for this is a sacred day. They're saying, what he said, what he said, what he said, it's true, it's okay, don't weep, he said, this is a sacred day. And so the people went away to eat and drink at a festive meal and to share gifts of food and to celebrate with great joy because they had heard God's word and they understood them. Okay, so what I want to do is I want to give you three lessons that kind of hit me from uh, what we just read. And here's the first one. There are times we all need help understanding God's word. There are times that we all need help understanding God's word. See, the people, in fact, what's interesting is in the very first verse, it doesn't say that Nehemiah and Ezra and all the leaders said, you guys got to show up. We're going to have our first church service. We're going to send out the flyers. and We need everybody there. Everybody's got to be there. It's not the way it came off. It says that the people came to Ezra and said, you've got to read us the word. There was just a hunger for God's word. They had a hunger for his word. But when they heard the word, they couldn't understand what was being said. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever had a hunger for God's word? And you go and you read God's word or you hear something on the weekend maybe. And you just don't understand it. Something, you know, something that it, it, you go, God, I want to hear you. I want to know you. I hear this from time to time, especially guys. 
I want to know God. I want to hear God. I want to read God's word. But you know, there's some stuff in there I just don't understand. See, some scriptures are just real easy to understand. Would you agree with that? I put four or five of them on your outline sheet. Let me just read a couple of them. Uh, First one says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of uh, God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. How do you understand that? Okay, that's pretty straightforward. Next one, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. How do you understand that? Okay, it's not rocket science. Yeah, we can do that. We can understand that. Don't be selfish, the next one. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. You understand that? Okay, and there's two or three others. In fact, if you want to have a great year next year, just take those five scriptures that I put that are easy to understand. Say, God, I'm just going to do those. Okay, I'm going to do that. They're not simple to do. They're easy to understand, not simple to do. Okay, but we understand them. Now, some scriptures, would you agree with this, are easy to understand. We just don't like them. Is there any scriptures like that? Oh, you guys are so pure and so good. Um, Just recently, my son Joshua was telling me about an experience that he had with his two kids, Miles and Greta Kate. Miles is five, and uh, Greta Kate's three. And um, he's teaching Miles, he and Lisa are teaching Miles, that Miles is to prefer his sister. Uh, He lets her go first in line. When they get in the car, she goes first in the car. He opens the door for her. Uh, They're teaching him that he is a warrior, she's a princess, and warriors protect princesses, okay? So they they, they were getting ready to go to school, and Miles wants to get in first, and Joshua says, Miles, you can't do that. You've got to remember, we have to prefer um, Greta Kate. And he said, I don't want to prefer Greta Kate. I want to go first. And so Joshua says, well, you know, the scripture that we've been reading talks about um, not being selfish, but preferring others ahead of yourself. He says, yeah, well, I don't like that scripture. (laughs) I thought he's real. There are scriptures I don't like. In fact, I've got one of them on here. All right, here here we go. Here we go. Uh, Luke 6, this is Jesus. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. How many of you like that one? Well, it's just, it's, it gets better. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer them your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. You know, we just kind of blow by that scripture. But that's the words of Jesus. He said, this is how you handle it when somebody doesn't treat you right. When you have somebody that's an enemy. When there's somebody at work or at school who devalues you, who doesn't treat you right, who might even be stealing your stuff. He says, here's the outline of how you treat them. And I go, I don't like that. I would like to punch them in the nose. But that's not what you do. This is a scripture that's hard. It's not hard to understand. It's just we don't, we don't really want to do them. But there are some scriptures that are just hard to understand. And I gave you a couple of examples. Here's one from Leviticus. Uh, how do you like reading in Leviticus? 
I actually do. I actually do. Because it's kind of fun to get in, get behind it, figure out what it is that why they're saying some of the things that they do. But here's, here's one of them. It says, uh, you must not eat winged insects that walk along the ground. Hey, I'm doing good there. I'm just going to be <laughs> real honest with you. I do okay. Okay. But it says, you may, however, if you're tempted... You may eat winged insects that walk along the ground and have jointed legs so they can jump. <laughs> What's up with that? Okay. All right. Here's another one. This is from Exodus 23. It says, as you harvest your crops, bring the very best of the first harvest to the house of the Lord your God. I get that part. Okay. Honor God with the first part of everything you have. That's what he's saying. Let's look at the second part of it. You must not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. What does that mean? I know what it means. I went to Israel this year and I asked a, an Orthodox Jewish guy, what does that mean? So I have the answer. Am I going to tell it to you? Not right now. Okay. Because my goal is not to explain the scriptures. That would be a four-hour sermon. Right now I just want to give you a few of them. Uh, here's, here's another one. This is, from, uh, this is from Jesus. If anyone comes to me and does not hate your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciples. Have you ever read that scripture and went, huh? Yeah, yeah, there's tons of them. Again, my goal is not to explain them today. Um, what I do want to talk about for just a minute is why is the Bible sometimes hard to understand? Because some people will go, you know what, it doesn't make sense, there are errors in there, which, by the way, we don't believe that. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God. We live our lives as much as we can by the Word of God. I think one of the, the cool things about um, even the, the platform and uh, Ezra raising the Word is, is it's a, a, a physical picture of elevating the Word of God to a place in our life that we we, uh, uh, I know when I see something in the Word of God, I don't default to, well, God must be wrong or somebody made a mistake or whatever. Um, we believe that there are reasons and what have you. I'll get to that in a minute. But um, uh, what do you do when you don't understand something, when it's hard to understand? Let me give you some reasons why it can be hard to understand. The first one is the cultural gap between where we are today and where they were then. Example, what if you were to have a conversation with someone who lived just 20 years ago, okay? They don't live today. Somehow you could have a conversation with them. What if you were to have a conversation, and what if you said something like this? You know, I was sitting just today in my man cave having an energy drink when I had an aha moment. The reason my wife is so gassed is because we're underwater in our home and our six-year-old just dropped an F-bomb. Now, you had that conversation. A person from 20 years ago has no clue what you just said. In fact, what I did is I just used six words that this year were added to the Merriam-Webster Collegiate Dictionary. They're cultural words that were added this year. Man cave, uh, energy drink, aha moment, thank you Oprah for that one, gassed, which means emotionally and physically exhausted, um, underwater, which means my house is not worth as much as my mortgage is on it, anybody relate to that, and, um, 
F-bomb, and you guys know what that is. So without cultural context, the person that you were speaking to might think you were in a cave somewhere while your house was being flooded, your child uh, was uh, ex using explosive devices, and your wife had gas. Okay, that's the interpretation <laughs> because of the cultural gap. Now, the, uh, the actions, you know, of a nomadic shepherd to, uh, eight, in 1800 B.C. makes no sense to a 21st century computer programmer if you look at it through modern-day lenses. Tough scriptures require cultural interpretation. I put another one on your outline sheet. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 11. A lot of argument in church on this one. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Okay? What does that mean? Well, I'm not going to explain the whole thing to you. That's not the purpose of my message. I can, but in order to understand that scripture, you've got to understand the cultural context, who it was written to specifically. It's called hermeneutics, which is the, the science uh, and study of interpreting the Bible, okay? So we can get off into crazy things, or we can just go, I just don't understand that. Well, part of it is culture, and we can study culture and, and uh, get a little clue to it. Um, not only cultural uh, problems, but there are different literature types in the Bible. The Bible contains history and law and poetry and songs and wisdom books and prophecy and personal letters and apocalyptic uh, literature uh, like revelations. And so a personal letter in the Bible written from uh, someone to someone else may have similar meaning, but the application can be very different to the person that it was written to as it is today. So you've got cultural things, you've got different types of literature, and then you've got our own sinful nature. I mean, we blow it, we make mistakes. You know, as much as I try not to read my own preconceived biases in Scripture, it happens from time to time. And so what we've got to do is, is we've got to have a high view of Scripture, like they did in those days. And when we come to a place uh, that, that maybe we don't understand, or we're trying to contextualize to our culture, whatever, we've got to, we've got to ask God to remove our biases, it takes humility to read God's Word and to study God's Word. We need help in understanding Scripture because sometimes it's hard to put it in the right context. Let me give you three or four things to do uh, uh, if you have a hard time when you don't understand Scripture. First one is this, assume the best. Assume the best. Don't assume God's wrong, somebody made a mistake, whatever. Assume that you are flawed, you are human, you don't understand. It's okay, you don't have to know everything, Okay? So just come at it from, from a humble point of view. God is probably more informed than we are. Secondly, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to you. See, that's, that's something we have today that they didn't have in Nehemiah chapter 8. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament came on individuals for specific actions. When Jesus came, just before he uh, ascended to the Father, he said, the gift that I have promised to you, the Holy Spirit, will be given to you. And we believe that when you are born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, and he teaches you, he reveals truth to you, he helps you understand difficult things. And so when you sit down to read the Bible, you know, um, 
assume that God is God and God is right, and then ask the Holy Spirit, help me to understand. Give me, open my mind, help me to re reveal the scriptures and the truth. Third thing you do is li listen to gifted teachers. That's what the Levites were doing. Um, there were gifted teachers that were going throughout the congregation, and they were going, do you have a question? Let me explain it. That's what we've tried to do from day one at Seacoast. For all the years that we've been here, what we've wanted to do is take the scriptures, which are so rich and so full. Have you ever been in a church, and we're not the greatest church in the world, not even close, but have you ever been in a church where scriptures are read and they're taught and you have no clue what's going on? And what we've decided to do is, I don't care if people think I'm simple. I believe that it takes a lot more work to take a complex subject and make it simple than it does to take a simple subject and make it complex. Would you agree with that? And so what, what we do is we try to teach the Word. And so gifted teachers um, can do that. Um, now, we all have, we all have access uh, to God's Word today. They didn't have it then. Uh, and there are all kinds of teachers. Just be careful if the teacher is the only one teaching that truth. Okay? You're listening to podcasts or, or uh, you know, on television or wherever it happens to be, and this teacher has an incredible truth that nobody else really is teaching, maybe only one or two or three others. may very well be because it's really not true. Okay? It's really not true. Or be careful if a teacher is teaching a truth that seems true, but that's the only thing they teach. They, they teach it over and over and over and over again. Then it can become distorted. And so, Listen to, listen to several teachers, all right? Um, then you can discuss it with a few friends over coffee or at home in a small group, and let's discuss Scripture and, and, and talk about it. And the fifth thing you can do is Google it. <laughs> That's my answer. Google it. And uh, there'll be some good things, some bad things, but ask the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom. All right, we all need help understanding God's Word. Okay, that's the first kind of lesson from this. Let me give you a second one. The truth will set you free, but first it will make you miserable. The truth will set you free, but first it will make you miserable. I love John 8 and verse 32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But oftentimes, before it does, things get worse. That's what's going on with Nehemiah. Before they read the Scripture, okay, they hadn't read the law. They hadn't heard the law. They didn't have scriptures like we have today. They thought they were doing pretty good. Hey, we're the pioneers. We came. We answered God's call. We rebuilt a wall. We're in the Guinness Book of World Records on wall building. We did it in 52 days. God must be really, really proud of us. And then Ezra gets up and he reads the law, what God requires. And now they're going, we're pretty much jacked on this deal. I mean, the worship leaders among them. When he read Deuteronomy 22 and verse 5, which says, a man shouldn't wear women's apparel and clothing. Worship leaders are going, I'm toast, no more skinny jeans. I mean, it's over for me, you know. <laughs> They're laughing at some of the other campuses. They're roaring at that because I thought that was really, really funny. <laughs> but have you ever had one of those moments not skinny jean moments, but you're feeling pretty good about your contribution to life. And then a sermon or a scripture that you're reading in a quiet time takes a glaring snapshot of the real you. Maybe you're reading Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And he talks about anger. And he says, you know what? If you're angry with your brother, you think you're pretty good because you don't murder anybody. You know, you haven't broken the law. He says, if you're even angry with your brother, you're subject to judgment. If you call your brother an idiot, you should be taken to court. If, uh, 
If, if you curse them, it's, that, that's the same as murder. And you're in dangers of the fires of hell. I don't know about you. I read a scripture like that and I go, I'm toast. My best effort isn't good enough. Uh, or, or you read uh, his deal on adultery. You're proud of, pretty proud of the fact, Jesus says, that you aren't an adulterer, but if you even look at someone with lust in your eyes, you're guilty. And some of you were doing really good at that until you came into this building this weekend, and during the second worship song, you looked down the row or you looked on the stage, and you had a thought, and you went, oh my goodness, I'm thinking that here in church. You're toast. And when that happens, people react in one of a couple of ways. They get defensive. Oh, you know, I, no, I didn't really think that, or that's not really me, or that's not really how I act. And then we kind of give, kind of go into a whole self-righteous deal because we want to look right. And so we have all these rules that we keep in order to make ourselves right. And we, 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 uh, we know we can keep these rules, so we're excited about that. And we laugh or look down on people that can't keep our rules or the ones that we're good at. Or else we just repent. And we go, you know what, I'm the guy in the picture. And that's what they did in Nehemiah 8. They're weeping. They're saying, you know what, I'm the guy in the picture. See, the truth is, every one of us are capable of some pretty disgusting things. We think things, we say things, we do things. And if you're defensive about it, you're destined to continue doing it and hiding the evidence and someday paying a price. But if you repent, then you're a candidate for God's grace. Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites knew that there was no future in Israel feeling bad. You know, the role of our church and the role of me is not to make you feel guilty, okay? Some people feel like a good sermon makes them feel guilty all the time. That's, that's, what good is that to you other than just repenting? But God wants you to have a clean slate. They said this is not a crying day. We all need help understanding. The truth will set you free. And the third thing and the third lesson is that when you really understand God's grace, it'll make you want to throw a party. When you really understand God's grace, it'll make you want to throw a party because the good news really is that good. Nehemiah tells Israel, dry your tears. This is a day of celebration. He says, put away the health food. Get you some fried chicken. Get a little bit of sweet tea. Then, and, and then how about some banana pudding? And let's celebrate. Now that sounds good, right? Celebrate what? Celebrate God's faithfulness. See, what was revealed to them is how unfaithful they were to God. And what Nehemiah and Ezra says, you know what? God's faithful to his promises even when we aren't. And can I tell you that to you? Some of you feel distant from God. Or some of us are hungry for God's word. But when we read, we see how far short we fall. And here's the good news. The law was given so that you would know how bad you are. But the good news is God sent his word. Just like he sent his word to them in Nehemiah 8, he sent his word, Jesus Christ, to you and I. That if we would repent of our sin, we would say to him, you know what, I'm just not all that. That he would say, you know, I know. And Jesus Christ died for you. He took your shortcomings to the cross, 
And I'm not going to judge you on that if you'll just come with a repentant attitude. See, um, in Luke 6, 35, is one of those hard scriptures. It says, love your enemies, Jesus says. Do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will be truly acting as children of the Most High. This is what's important about this. You know, it's hard for me to love my enemies. It's hard for me to, you know, to, to go, okay, you used me. Uh, okay, you said bad things about me. Okay, you stole my stuff or whatever, and I'm not going to retaliate, and I'm going I, I, to turn the other cheek. That's hard. But here's what Jesus says. Jesus says the reason you do it is because you'll be a model. You'll be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and who are wicked. God is kind. What about you today? Are you willing to allow God's word to take a snapshot of where you are? To take a snapshot of your attitudes and your actions? Who have you hurt with your words recently? Who are you harboring unforgiveness in your heart against? Who are you, what are you hiding so that you don't look bad to other people? See, the Holy Spirit's taking a snapshot of it. And you have two choices. You can be defensive. Say, it's not that bad. It's just the way I am. Everybody else does it. It's not a big deal. And if you do, you are destined to reap the consequences of your behavior. But if you're willing to repent and take it to the cross and leave it there, then you can have a party and celebrate God's grace. We sing a song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. I got to tell you something. When I read the scriptures and I see how far I am from God's, you know, kind of standard, I want to weep. But God says, no, I want you to know about my amazing grace. It's good enough for you. It's good enough for everybody. Have a party. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your grace to us in this place this weekend. God, I thank you for your word. I just pray that we would continue to have just an elevated view of your word. That your word is precious. That your word is truth. That when in doubt, God, your word is supreme. God, I pray that you would give every one of us just a hunger and a place for your word that lifts it up. God, I also pray that we would be uh, people who wouldn't be defensive, but we would repent of our sin. Everybody in here falls short of the grace of God, but you are more than enough for us. God, I just pray this weekend that we would make some decisions, that we would uh, take some action, that we would listen to you, would draw us closer to you and your pattern and your will for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.